Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. We have an exciting new episode for you today. So joining me today is Micah Current, my co-host. Micah, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Uh, grateful for another day, another week. Um, and, you know, kind of get back into like a semi-normal routine after you had class last week. Like, we we have seemed to not get in a steady routine of recording like we normally do on Monday mornings since uh, the beginning of the year. So I'm hoping... To get get on a uh, semi uh, normal routine, I listened to last week's episode, and I think I shared with our listeners that like I had something going on the week before last, and um, it was snowing, and I had a hard time getting home. We recorded in the afternoon. We usually record on Monday mornings, and then you had school last week. Your online uh, mm-hmm. intensive week at, at Ashland, so it's good to be back on the Monday morning schedule. Yep, it's good to be back in the Monday morning schedule. And uh, joining us today is uh, Trey Oldham and Micah. You can go talk a little bit about Trey and kind of do that introduction. Yeah, so I don't know if I've ever asked you, Trey, how to say it. Is it Oldham? Is that how you say your last name? Yeah. Okay, yes, cool. It's spelled, spelled <clears throat> Oldham, but we don't usually say the H. Oldham. Oldham. Got it. So Trey uh, is the lead pastor at North Crossings Church in Monroe, Louisiana. I think they say at Monroe down there. Um, but originally, uh, I, I don't know how they say it because I'm from Mississippi and not from Louisiana. So Trey is the lead teaching pastor at North Crossings Church in uh, Monroe, Louisiana. And he's also a master coach in Leadership Focus. And we've talked a little bit about Leadership Focus on this show. And it's kind of the track that folks, uh, uh, you know, receive ordination through the church of God. It's a track. It's an online schooling program um, consisting of six modules. I'm a coach on there, but I actually met Trey through coaching and he kind of introduced me and he's kind of graciously walked me through um, what coaching looks like and leadership focus. And I'm truly thankful because I'd probably be lost without him and others uh, like Jeanette and Joy Sherman. And Trey like I said, is the lead pastor at North Crossings Church, and he also holds a Master's of Divinity from Anderson University School of Theology in Anderson, Indiana, which is where I went to seminary. And so we're delighted to have Trey today. So Trey, welcome. Good to be here, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome. So before we dive into our interview with Trey, we have our segment, Trey, that we call Stories Gone Wild, just uh, any weird stories that happened to us week or weird stories in ministry. Um, so yeah, and before the show, Micah started to say something. I said, "Hold on, hold on, Micah. Let's not talk about it because it's my story. It's my weird story." But wow, I feel like we're going to tag team it this week, though, because like I think I, we were going to we were kind of thinking the same thing. But okay, you can you can you can start it. You can kick it off. I'm good. All with right. That. So let's talk. So my weird story's been the revival at Asbury. Um, that like, and I don't want to. I want to throw a disclaimer and just say I'm not like pooping on it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not crapping on it. I'm not saying like, oh, this is fake. What is this? It's it's interesting to see a revival that's happening organically the way it's doing. At least all the reports I'm seeing, everything I'm reading, we we see it happening organically where I start having that little like spidey sense tingling going off is, okay, not when this thing's going to end, but I'm more worried about what's going to happen if it doesn't end. And and the reason why I say that is uh, one of my good mentors at Ashland, uh, Dr. Terry Wardle, uh, wrote a lot of books about spiritual healing and 
and he's wrote a lot of books on the Holy Spirit. He comes from charismatic circles. So if there's anybody who knows about the Holy Spirit and kind of how it operates in different spectrums of Christendom, uh, he would be the guy who who would know that. And one of the things he always talks about is, you know, when the when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, three things come with it. Uh, three things come with it: God, um, the flesh, and then the evil one. And he kind of explained it as, you know, with the flesh, you know, when does it stop becoming about God, and when does it start becoming about us? Now, having a continuous revival and us being able to see it instead of like reading it in textbooks like the first great awakening second great awakening or um but now we're in this digital age where now we're seeing video footage and people have their phones out now there's people who are coming in to experience this and there's a part of me that asks at least a couple questions you know when does it stop becoming a revival and when does it start becoming a show? Hmm. When does the manifestations of the flesh happen where now you're kind of feeling it, okay, it's time to wind this thing down, but we're going to keep it going because it's we're getting airwaves, we're getting news. So this is a great way to talk about Jesus because it's now being broadcasted everywhere. And then for Asbury, not that they're doing this, but you know, when do they say, hey, let's keep it going because... You know, if people are looking for a Christian university to send their kids to, well, Asbury had this great revival. So send your kids here. They're definitely going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when does it start going off the rails? And then it starts becoming something a little bit less than what it was originally designed. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then the, the other question I have, and this is why I said earlier, Micah, this is something we'll probably have to unpack in another episode, is... What constitutes that as a revival versus, you know, my week at Ashland where I'm taking a hermeneutics class and yet we're praying with one another. We're getting where our minds are expanding and we feel full every single day. And we just felt like that in a way that was a revival. Even my professor, uh, Dan Hawk, even mentioned the same thing. Like we had revival at Ashland in a little tiny classroom. So what constitutes, and he asked the question, what constitutes as a revival? That it has to be five days with, you know, hundreds of people, or can revival happen in a small Mississippi church of 10 people and half of them get baptized on a Sunday? Hmm. Um, yeah, and not to take up the whole time, because we're going to interview Trey here in a minute. Like, I just, how did you, how did you find out about this? Just curiosity. I found out a bit through TikTok. Okay. So the same, same. I was mm-hmm. scrolling through TikTok last, I think it was Saturday morning. I got up and was having my coffee and I was like, what is going on in that, you know, at Asbury? And so, um, but as the weekend progressed, uh, the, you know, I, I, ke- I kept seeing posts on TikTok and they kept saying, well, the spirit of God is here and the spirit of God is moving. And I'm not here to negate that or or have that conversation. But what I am saying is that, you know, they're saying hundreds of people are doing nothing but pray and worship and it's all organic, but yet are you making it organic by the TikTok thing where you're videoing it and you're throwing it online to, to, to get attention and to, 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 to market that, so to speak. And we've talked about marketing on the show. Um, uh, I don't know if the two of you know, Dr. Melissa Pratt, but she's the, 
the pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a she was at Dayspring Church here in Cincy, and then she um, she transitioned into a, a church in West Virginia at Scott Depot. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she's a wonderful lady, a wonderful worship leader. She actually traveled to Asbury yesterday, and she posted about it on her on her Facebook last night, and said that the Spirit of God was was new and it was anointed and it was it was real. And I'm not again not negating the fact that that, that this has happened, but you know I think you have to be careful, like Scott, like you said about when is it more about God and when is it more about the flesh? And, um, and I'm not saying these people aren't meeting God where they are. I'm not saying that God, the spirit of God is moving. Um, and I'm also not saying that I'm just going to get in my car and drive two and a half hours down to Asbury, but you know, it is encouraging to see folks younger than us actually worship and participate in that kind of a community. Um, but I also, <clears throat> excuse me, think that um, I want to know what their definition of quote-unquote revival is um, versus, you know, growing up, you know, in the church of God, my dad as a pastor would often have revivals, like one in the fall, one in the spring. That's old school, you know, thought, right? Old school church of God where Sunday night church, man, we'd kick that Sunday night service off and we would have Sunday night service, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and, you know, and close and have a big dinner and celebrate the evangelist for coming. And sometimes they would even go to the following Sunday. It, it just depended on, you know, the willingness of the folks. And we've had this conversation on your show, Scott, where people used to plan their lives around the church and not the other way around. And now it's the other way around and not the church. Um, but when I Googled church revivals, uh, it just said church revivals also called revival meetings or religious services within the Christian church that are held to inspire or reawaken the spiritual vigor of group uh, of a group of believers. Historical revival meetings have been held in Christian communities and churches that tend to be largely Protestant. So like, this seems like, you know, that. However, you know, I just want a little bit of clarity. Like, are, are there people speaking at this or is it just music? Is it just worship and people are just sitting there worshiping and praying? Um, you know, they're all that I'm seeing on TikTok is it's like, oh, 48 hours and going, 106 hours and still going. Like, oh, okay, great. Like, are you, I, I just want some clarity, I think is, is all that, uh, mm-hmm. all that I, all that I want. I did see this morning on, on TikTok that they're still going. And that they're they're starting to make local and national news um, as a result of this. Trey, have you do you have any thoughts on this before we jump into your interview? Uh, I mean, my my real thoughts would be that you know trying to decipher whether it's it's a real thing or 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 man made or whatever the scenario is is I think that I think that becomes an individual piece um, for what is revival for one person could be something else for someone else and. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend to I tend to float it this way. If if there's going to be a Holy Spirit outpouring, uh, you're going to see Holy Spirit fruit. And if you don't see Holy Spirit fruit, you got to question what Spirit was pouring out. Yeah. And so and and by that, I don't I don't mean you get to choose one of the fruit. I can be peaceful, right? But I'm not patient. No, I it's it's not the Holy Spirit fruits plural. It's it's the fruit. You're going to get all of those things. And so you're going to become more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more gentle, more self-controlled, you know, and that's going to pour out to me. The, the live out is the evidence of what's it's doing inside of mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So well, that'd be really the only thought I have. Well, that's, that's great because like, and the only other thing I'll say about it, Scott, before we'll, we'll start oh, this yeah. interview is that um, 
I saw another video on TikTok of a, of a pastor, of a leader, of an author kind of responding to this revival. And it's exactly what Trey said. And Scott, you worked in camp ministry and he used the illustration of camp ministry and speaking at camps and things like that. And like you have these big moments where all these kids come and they give their lives to Jesus. And, you know, they're, they're excited and they're hungry about the Bible and they're hungry about leading others to Jesus and having this moment. But then they leave camp and then it's over. It's like you pop the balloon and then it's done. And it's like, well, how do you live that out? Like. How, what are they going to do post this, you know, leaving the chapel? Are they just never going to leave the chapel <laughs> at Asbury and then just, just stay there for the rest of time? Or are they going to live out that fruit that, that, that Trey's talking about? Like, are they going to live out the calling as Paul tells us to live out our, you know, calling according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and just go out and make disciples as Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 28. Like there's, there's a little bit of disconnect there. And it's like, like I said before, I just want more clarity. So Scott, I'll just throw it back to you and we'll, uh, we'll start the interview. Yeah. And actually, Trey, did you have a Stories Gone Wild? Oh, <laughs> how many funny. would you like? Um, just one. Just, just one. one. Well, I'll, I'll I'll share with you because uh, the, the story I shared with you guys before we started recording is, is probably the one I'm most well known for. Uh, when I became a senior pastor, one of the things my congregation said is, hey, come see the new guy. You never know what he's going to say. Um, cause I, I did a sermon one time on the, the Jewish concept of grief and how you never grieve alone. And that, that, uh, that phraseology is you shiva with someone. And, uh, but it's usually it's referred to in a, in a, in an active stance. And so it's, you sit shiva with someone. And I made it through the whole sermon very clearly enunciating sit shiva until we got to the altar call and, I dropped the IVA and put the H in the sit. And uh, I said, basically, if you'd like to come and pray this morning, we would love to come and poop with you. And I enunciated it very clearly for the whole world to see and hear. And uh, all I could do is drop my head. I was like, oh, how could I do that? By the time I looked up, there wasn't a head in the room. Everyone was laying down in their chairs laughing. And I had, uh, for the next six months, there was this one little old lady in the church that Every every Sunday after I'd get done preaching, she'd come back and meet me at the back of the sanctuary. Trey, I'm so proud of you. You didn't cuss at all today. And so, <laughs> that, that, you know, that's that's one example. I've got a million. Um, you know, I, I, when you've been in ministry for 22 years and you started as a, uh, my degree is in actually in agriculture. And I spent most of my college undergrad in the local honky tonk. And so, um, you, you live, you live a different life. Right. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty well known for sticking my foot in my mouth. So it's all good. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Wonderful. So, uh, Trey, as we are here to interview you, give us like a kind of a quick synopsis of who you are and kind of your call to ministry. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I grew up, uh, a lot of people that don't live in the deep South don't know that we actually grow rice in the United States. I grew up on a rice farm uh, here in Northeast Louisiana, where I'm at. Um, started in the fields when I was 11 years old and probably voted the least likely to enter ministry by most of the people that would have known me, um, but uh, enjoyed. I crammed a four-year bachelor degree into six years. Uh, enjoyed every minute of it, and then went to work at a local bank doing farm loans because one of my five minors was economics. Um, when you spend six years in college and you accumulate over 200 hours, you have a lot of minors. And so uh, so I, I did that. I ended up at a bank in my hometown 
Um, and when my, my boss, uh, when I got there, he told me, he said, the first thing I need you to do is get involved in a church because that's where all your business contacts will come from. Well, I went to my hometown church, the one I'd grown up in. And, uh, in that process as being only one of two young single people in the entire church, the other one was the youth pastor. You start hanging out with the other person that's like you. And, uh, eventually I became a bouncer for the youth group. Um, and I say that because I didn't really believe, I didn't really know what to do with it, but I was going to be a dutiful employee and stay involved in the church. And, um, it didn't take long within a year. Uh, uh, I remember looking, uh, I was at a youth conference, um, youth specialties conference for youth pastors. And, uh, I remember sitting in worship and going, God, if I hadn't said it before, like I'm in whatever that means. Um, so for me, I don't have a moment of of salvation. It was an evolution of salvation. Um, and it went from salvation to calling almost immediately. Uh, so I started in ministry and, and then, uh, shortly thereafter answered a call to seminary, moved to Anderson in 2002. Uh, I was considered the, uh, inside the United States foreign student. Um, I was, nobody knew what to do with a guy from Louisiana because that's where like all of the voodoo and stuff comes from. So my best friends were, from Kathmandu, uh, from India, from uh, Trinidad and Tobago, from Brazil, from Germany, because that was the guys that they were like, go hang out with that, those people. So, um, but I had a great experience. Uh, I, in the process, I think my passion in ministry has focused towards being a church that moves. Um, I, one of the trademarks I think that I've brought to the two congregations that I've been a senior pastor to for now is um I believe we ought to tithe our Sundays back to the community. And so uh, I, I'm working towards five times a year that our church, when we gather on Sunday morning, very unexpectedly, we go and do something rather than just listen to a sermon. Um, and so we've done things like that over the years. We've gone to the grocery stores and bought for a food shelter. Uh, we've gone and and worked uh, to put roofs on houses, to cut down trees, to do a lot of different things. Um, but we that's kind of my passion is the, the church has been um, focused on the, what we believe for so long, they forgot the, what we do things. And so, uh, so that's kind of my big passion in ministry, I think. And, and with that, uh, you know, getting connected with Micah through leadership focus, I, I took that assignment, that, that request, because I, I firmly believe that the only way that we're going to change the dynamic of the church uh, from being a sitting and believing people to a moving people is by impacting the next group of leaders. Wonderful. So. Yeah, that's great. And and I like the idea that you, you're, you're kind of like your missions. I guess I would say like your personal mission statement that, you know, I tried to lead the church to move. And I think for years, the church has always been about who we are, who we're not, what we believe, what we don't believe, how how we live and how not to live, but never about how do we impact our communities. Because, you know, that's a big passion of mine, too. And a lot of times I go into two churches I served at previously before the one I've served at now. A lot of times it was just like nobody. If I ask them, oh, what's this church known for? And literally they tell me, oh, well, we're known for the our church sign and all the funny sayings we have on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or when or I got you go to the church, ask, I was yeah. at, 
Yeah. When I got to the church that I was at for 13 years in Indiana, um, I kind of walked around the community. I was like, hey, tell me about the, the church of God in town. And the two predominant responses were, oh, the church down there. I thought they closed a couple of years ago, mm. which great, great introduction. Or I didn't even know we had a church of God in town. And so, uh, so that was kind of what led like, all right, God, we got to do something because nobody even knows that we're here. Um, so how do they know that you're here? And so, uh, you know, I, th- I think my, to me, one of the greatest measures of my successful ministry was the last year what, that I was there um, before moving back to Louisiana, where I'm from, was uh, I was standing in the local uh, grocery store. Uh, the Marsh at the time, if you're from the Anderson area, you know what mm-hmm. Marsh was. They don't exist anymore. But uh, the the local Marsh, uh, every time we would do shopping for the local food pantry, um, we did that. It was an annual thing. We did it on the first Sunday that there wasn't snow on the ground. So usually mid-March. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the grocery store and said, hey, just I caught the one of the lead grocers there. And I said, hey, I just need to let you know that my church is going to be here this morning during service. Here's my business card. If anybody gets out of hand, call me, um, you know, but if, if they need to help stock shelves while they're here, they're willing to do that. Just let us know what you need. And some guy that I'd never seen before. And I'd been in this town for 13 years came up and he said, did I just hear you say that your church is coming here to shop for groceries during church time? And I said, yes, sir, that's correct. And he said, then that would mean that you're Pastor Trey. I was like, what? He said, and so you're you're the local church of God, right? And I said, well, yeah, why would you say that? And he said, because you're the only church I know of that does things. Mm. And I, went, I went, there was a part of me that was like, I've arrived. But at the same time, it's like, how how big of a statement is that? of the rest of the congregations in our community. Cause I know those pastors and they're great people and their people are great people. But if, if we're the only one that's known to do something, that's a, that's a pretty big statement. How is a uh, Trey, you're like, you say you want to go out like five times a year, for example, and, and go out into the community. How is that received in, in both of the congregations that you pastored? Uh, the church I was at there in Indiana was, the funny thing was five years before I got there, less than 10 of those people actually went to church. So they were just like, okay, this is normal. And they just jumped straight in. It wasn't a big deal. Um, they weren't, they, you know, the first couple of times they were like, will this work? You know, my elders were like, uh, Trey, if you give people permission to leave and go to the grocery store, they're just not coming back. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I kind of expected that when I came here to my second church back in Louisiana, um, and they have been, obviously, this church in Louisiana has a little bit slower on the uptake. They're they're super cool with doing it once or twice a year, but considering giving up a tithe, um, because I don't take up an offering on the Sunday that we go and do those things, um, that's been a little scarier because this church is longer established. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the the one that I was at, like I said, nobody had been in church five years before I got there, and they had seen a great revival. They'd had a a former promoter for the Gaithers who had become their, their pastor in retirement. And um, it just turned into a revival there on, on that, that property. Um, And so they saw just under 200 baptisms in two years. Mm. And so, so they were, they were like, whatever, they're willing to jump in, but it's been a little bit more difficult here in an established congregation. 
there's a mm. there's a church here where I live um the the years ago the the youth group and I know the youth pastor he's not there anymore he's a teaching pastor somewhere else now but they used to do this thing called move out and it was with their student ministry group and it was it used to be just like a they would go and do like their camp thing for the summer but then they uh they came back and they decided hey we're going to do a thing called move out and then this move out thing was like a week long like uh, we're going to, we're going to camp at the church. We're going to live at the church for a week, but we're going to go out into our community. We're going to go help the people that are living in poverty. We're going to go buy groceries for the homeless. We're going to go help people rebuild their homes after a bad storm. We're going to, we're going to live out the gospel. And then they would come back stinky, sweaty, and nasty because it's 90 degrees in the summer take a shower. And then they would have these powerful worship services at night and they would do that for a week. And it was one of the most influential things I've ever heard because I'm like, Ah, they get it right. There's hope for the next generation because, you know, they're, they're living out what the gospel is telling us to do. And I think it was appropriately named move out because they're, they're going out into their community and they're doing things. And I think it's fascinating a, that we're getting, we're seeing those things and we're seeing that. I, I think the word of the day is fruit, but seeing that fruit come to life and come into fruition. But on the other side, you know, why are we so stuck? Why are we so uh, hesitant to, to move out, quote unquote, move out, you know, and why are we so hesitant to, to get out of our pews and get out of the normal and, um, yeah. you know, and apply what the gospel tells us to do. Well, and I think, I think yesterday, uh, yesterday, my sermon was, I've been walking through the impact of the word. Um, and so it was a six part series. It was the word where we jump into the Bible. It was being in the word where we study the Bible, then the word becomes flesh where we talked about Jesus, the word in us where we talked about the Holy Spirit. Uh, a week ago, we talked about silencing the word, that there is someone out there that silent wants to silence God. Um, and then this week was the last one in that series called The Last Word. And um, I went through eschatology. Um, what are the four predominant beliefs on eschatology? How long have they been around? All that kind of stuff. But I put on the screen, and this is because of who I am, um, what, what do you think I think about your beliefs on the end of the time? What do you believe God thinks? And my answer to that was, we don't care. None of us care what you believe about the end of times. What we care what you're willing to do every day between now and that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that is far more important than our beliefs. We get hung up over one word in the book of Revelation, thousand. We we get so caught up that we have built four predominant beliefs, you know, pre-tribulation, premillennialism, post-tribulation, premillennialism, post-millennialism, and amillennialism as the four predominant beliefs. And we will break up camps and break up fellowship over our belief systems over something that can't be proven. Um, I, I, I told them yesterday, I said, here's the deal. I don't think any one of us is getting to heaven and going to look around and go up. Oh, that's what I expected. And yet we're willing to divide over that. I think you should be more grateful that you're going to get there. <laughs> yes. Amen. You know, I, I feel so often that I'm going to be the one who escapes smelling like burned, you know, char, the one who escapes through the flames, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. I, and I think that's a part of it too. I think uh, from a pastoral standpoint, uh, the pastors have been painted into this unrealistic, inhuman person for so long that doesn't have fallibility, doesn't have problems, doesn't have sin in their life. And I'm I'm looking around going, dude, 
my dad bought me my first beer when I was 12 years old. That was my bar mitzvah, if you will, you know, entrance into manhood. And, um, you know, I, my last church, because they were all fairly new Christians, were a little cussy. Mm. You know, I, I can remember at the back of the at the back of the sanctuary, people walking up and it was a hell of a good sermon, Pastor. Thanks. You know, uh, you really kicked it in the butt today, except for they wouldn't use that word. You know, I mean, it was they they, mm-hmm. they didn't have they weren't churched. Yeah, they weren't churched. And I wasn't going to I wasn't going to break them of that because they had a connection to the community because of their unchurchedness. Mm-hmm. They had a, they had an ability to speak. Um, and so, you know, one of the you know, Micah, you were talking about leadership folk and that's kind of part of it. One of the coaches that I've invited to be a part of our group this year and you're going to love him. His name is Gabriel Hernandez and he's out in Denver, Colorado. He is a tattoo artist by trade. And that dude is cussy and he will sit down and have a drink with people that he's sharing the gospel with while eating some hot wings. And you, you just love him because the grace of God oozes out of him at every level. And I, I have a friend here who's kind of similarly, similarly uh, he, he was in prison for, for 19 yeah. years. And when he got out of prison, he just, he was, he saved, he got saved in prison and he felt like I was calling him to a plan a church and B plan a coffee shop. And he did both. And his coffee shop, part of his ministry is just getting folks that have been in prison and then get them back, you know, after the rehabilita- rehabilitation process, get back into the world. That's their first step is going through the coffee shop by being employed. And I sit there and I just sob when I see him because I just, same deal. The, the man comes up. I don't, I try to shake his hand and he hugs me and he like picks me up and hugs me. And I'm six foot three and about 260 pounds. And he picks me up and he just thinks like I'm nothing. And he just gives me the biggest hug and you know that he knows what the love and grace of Jesus is because he's yeah. been through it and he's been through, he's covered in tattoos. His church isn't the normal church that you would go to is, you know, they call it the fringe. I'd love to have him on this, the show and to share his story, uh, Scott, but like, it's just, <laughs> I'll write it down. Write it on the list. I keep getting Scott all these, all these, uh, and I'm fine. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. You're like the renegade. As long as we keep pushing the fundraising episode back, I will do it. Yeah. Scott (laughs) wants to do an episode on fundraising, but he's stalling with that. But, but anyway, uh, I digress, but like, yeah, I, I really, you know, I, I love that because, you know, a friend of mine at work, uh, his name is Chad. He, he, he often says, I don't believe in bad words. I believe in bad intentions. Yeah. And so Carlin, uh, view of, of cuss words yeah yeah and so <laughs> i use the illustration often trey that you know it's not it's not you know completely uncommon in my life to get up and stub my toe in the middle of the night and to use the word shiva like you were yes. talking about earlier <laughs> right. earlier and um it's 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 not uncommon or if my cat's you know i just got i just spent six dollars on a cup of coffee at starbucks and my cat knocks it off the counter and spills it all over the floor there, there may be a not so nice word that comes out of my mouth because I just spent six dollars on a, a latte at Starbucks. My <laughs> cat knocked it on the floor, but um, yeah. but anyway, I, I just, I think it's so crucial that we have these conversations with people yeah. and meet people where they are, and that's that's more important to me than holding office hours or mm. uh, having having my life in order. And and you talked about, you know. Um, you know, pastors living this this perfect life, and 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 uh, I'm going to throw a Church of God word out here for for us Church of God guys in the room, which is all of us. The the holiness conversation, like I thought for so long for years as a young kid and a young teenager, 
And even to a point before I felt a call to ministry and walked away from the church that I was never going to meet the mark of holiness. I was never going to be good enough. And I, and I remember, and I, I shared this with my mom uh, several years ago that like, I, I felt a conviction to read the new Testament one, one, one day. And uh, I felt like, and my mom's like, what, why are you, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, I just, I just feel like I'm, you know, I feel like God's calling me to do that. But like, I also felt like at the same time, like if I didn't do it, something was bad was going to happen to me. And I shared with somebody in a coffee shop a couple of weeks ago, they were, they were talking about their upbringing being Southern Baptist and, and the whole conversation about being once saved and always saved. And, you know, what's the difference between church of God? And I was like, well, we, we, we believe in, in salvation, but we also believe that people can fall out of salvation and they, you know, quote unquote backslide or fall away or, or, or whatever. And she was like, and, and I, I shared with her with tears streaming down my face in a, in a public setting saying, you know, I pray every day that God would forgive me. And she was like, why would you do that? Why do you feel that? I'm like, I, because I'm a screw up because I'm a sinner because I continuously sin. And, and I believe in the love and the grace and the hope of Jesus. Obviously that's why we're here. And that's why I believe what I believe. And, but if I didn't believe in that, you know, why wouldn't I? Right. Like you have, you guys both have kids. Like you tell them to say they're sorry when they screw up and they say they're sorry. And, you know, sometimes they mean it, but sometimes they don't, but like they, 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 you go through that process. Right. And, you know, you want there to be that reconciliation that Paul talks about in second Corinthians. Like it, it just, I, you know, I'm trying not to get emotional when I'm having this conversation with you guys, but like, it's seriously, I, I just, I want, I want people to know that God loves you so much and that mm-hmm. he, he continues to forgive when he doesn't have to. Yeah. Right. And it's just so powerful when we get that. And yeah. so, um, I don't know. This interview just went. No, it's, no, it's fine. No, um, I mean, well, to that. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Scott. No, I was just going to say, just from hearing you two bounce back and forth, just kind of being the uh, the, the coach watching this tennis match between <laughs> you and the guy up on the high chair. Um, it, it, Fault. Really, <laughs> Fault. No, we're really dealing with the, the topic of expectations. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's hard because I think that as a, as a regular church person, the reason why I don't go out into my community to serve on a Sunday morning because it is because it's Sunday morning and I'm supposed to be in church, at least from older congregations. That is what you're supposed to do. And that's the expectation. Yeah. So when you say, hey, we're going to go out in the community this Sunday, we're not going to preach. We're going to go out and we're going to serve the community. Wait, what? We're supposed to be in church. Like, and, you know, that's what the Bible says. So it's like, well, no, not really. <laughs> but, <laughs> Great commission. It does says, say it does say, it, going, it does say you know? go and make disciples. So maybe that's what we should be doing is yeah. going. Um yeah. but yeah, even the idea of sanctification and salvation and and even the roles of what a pastor is and isn't, you know, a pastor is someone who wears a five-piece suit, has their hair all proper, freshly clean shaved, even if they have a little gray in the beard, they got a diet or whatnot, make sure all the hairs are trimmed. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these expectations. Yeah. And because of those expectations, people feel like, well, that is biblical. Yeah. And I think, and I think honestly, it, it yeah, tracks back to I, about, I don't know, about 14 years ago, I started dealing with this concept of, I really don't think I have anything good to say any, to anybody. It's actually what hinders my outreach. 
because we've built this expectation that if you can't be an apologetic theologian, you can't enter a conversation about your faith because somebody's going to make a question that you can't answer. And, and it all, to me, it stems back to, if I don't have the right theology, I can't share. And, and so what I began to do is I began to ask God, okay, you got, you got to help me to, to help people see not what the good news is, but what the great news is. Um, you know, one of the mind blowing things to me is while Jesus was walking the earth, he was spreading the good news. Um, well, that can't be the same good news that we share with people. The good news that we share was Jesus died on a cross for you. Jesus could not say that. He hadn't died yet. He hadn't been raised from the dead. So what was the good news he was bringing? And so I, I thought about, I was given the Roman road. Right, do you, did you guys grow mm -hmm. up with the Roman road? Yeah. Romans 3.10 is where it starts. For everyone to sin and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the problem with that. We start the story in Genesis chapter 3. What happened to Genesis 1 and 2? So we start with, hey, Scott, I'm Trey. I just want to let you know you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. Unless you will accept Jesus in your life, then you can spend eternity in, in heaven saying thank you. And so we've made it two things that are impossible. Number one, we started with failure instead of starting with God. And two, we made it all about an eternal heaven and we stopped making it about the today heaven, which is what Jesus's message actually was. Today, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? I mean, that's his message. That's his gospel that he preaches. So, so for me, I had to go back and I'm like, okay, so now when I share the good news and I start with my congregation, this was, this was a sermon series I just finished up in September, I think. Um, but it's five parts, you know, Hey Scott, I just want to let you know, first and foremost, God created you to love you and he loves you just because he created you. There is nothing you can do to lose that love. If we start from that point, we start with great news, right? Now, Scott, I, there's places in your life that are, I'm sure are a lot like mine, where there are times that I'm pretty sure I know better than Jesus does. And so I make choices <laughs> that take me further from him rather than draw me to him. And that's, that's what the church calls sin. And so, but there is a cure for that. Jesus came so we would not have to suffer the consequences of our sin between us and God. And that forgiveness actually has a purpose. We find ourselves, Micah, to go back to your deal, we find ourselves caught up in this horrible loop of fallen and forgiven. And that's why we have to go back to the altar every Sunday. And then we have, we have sinned again before we even leave the parking lot of the church because somebody cut us off in traffic and we're screaming at them, right? So we're in this horrible loop, but we've got to remember forgiveness has a purpose and it's restoration. Hmm. God wants to walk with us just like he did with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden every day. Hmm. And so the only way that that is possible is the fifth stage, which is grace. God wants to offer it. We need to accept it. And then we can move so we don't get caught up in the, oh, my goodness, I've fallen and I can't get up scenario because we, we wallowed around in the poo that we stepped in. And now we've got it all over ourselves because we chose to examine it rather than to just keep walking it off. Mm. And so that's to me that that makes a news that can be evangelical without being con condemning of the person that you're trying to be evangelical. You're trying to talk to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Stop using big church words. Well, um, I, and, and, well, to piggyback off that quickly, I, I think, you know, the, the idea that um, I think of it more of a relationship 
right with 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 God the Father, you know, mm-hmm. to you know have that conversation. And I and I went to a worship uh, leadership conference. You know, you guys have both been teaching pastors and lead pastors, and I'm more in the creative arts realm. But like, I went to a worship seminar a couple of years back, and um, Paul Balash is one of my favorite worship leaders of all time. And I don't know if you guys, you know, <laughs> open the eyes of my heart, Lord, mm-hmm. open the like. You know, he's really, I'm really dating him now, but he wrote that in 2000, 2001, <laughs> but he's written some of the greatest worship songs that there are that we sing to this day. Open the eyes of my heart, uh, your name, our God saves, uh, you know, and so many more the same love. And uh, one of the, the, the seminars, the songwriting seminars that I, I sat in with him a couple of years back, he, he said, you know, start your, your morning as a conversation with God, mm-hmm. you know. You, the first things out of your mouth in the morning, dear Jesus, or God, thank you for this day. And can continuously have that conversation with, with your dad until you lay down and take your, your, uh, till you close your eyes and go to sleep. Uh, and, and in Jesus name, amen. And just like, that's the whole point of God, the father and being able to go to him like a father. And I use the illustration earlier of you both having kids, like your kids come to you when they need you. We go, we need to run to the father when we need him. And I use the illustration on the episode that I did with Scott last week uh, about, you know, Abraham knew that he needed to be obedient to, to, to God in that moment in Genesis, when he was going to sacrifice Isaac, he knew that he needed to be obedient, but I kind of use the illustration and parallel of that tray with the fact that, Hey, let's look at that. Look at it through this lens. Abraham knew. Abraham knew what he was going to do, and he was going to be God. God had to be obedient to himself to sacrifice his only son so that we could have salvation. And it just blows my mind when you see those parallels. We talked about the Old Testament and how it's relevancy and Jesus in the Old Testament and, and all this stuff. But like, it just blows my mind that, like, okay, Jesus cried in the, gar- uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and I butcher that name all the time. However, just think about that. He, what was, what was Jesus doing in the garden? He was having a conversation with his father, knowing what he was going to do. And what is, what does Paul tell us to do in, in, in some of his letters? Die to ourselves. Right. And so like, we just need to, to be mindful of that. And, 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 you know, we're all over the place with this conversation, but I think it's great. But the, the idea that, you know, we were not perfect. And what's the word say for even yet we were sinners. Right. And so like, Paul talks about it all the time, all over his letters. Like he, he's a screw up. I'm a screw up. Like I'm legit. <laughs> uh, I, I said something I probably shouldn't have said to my wife. I stubbed my toe and said Shiva. I uh, slammed my finger in the car door. I, I forgot to apologize to somebody for the way that I spoke to them. Um, mm. I, you know, I have. We all have family issues, family drama, right? Like there, there, there are things in this life that we can't you know, pretend to even know or be perfect at, but at the end of the day, God is still God and we, we can run to him and, and have that conversation and, and and just love and adore him for what he is. And I think that's all I was saying in that reference, uh, the reference earlier uh, to the idea of like, I think when I was younger, it was, Oh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Because I'm in this loop that you're talking about. However, now it's more of a, Hey, Lord, I didn't have such a great day. Lord, I, you know, I screwed up today. Like it's, 
it's that confidence that we have that it talks about in Hebrews, the confidence that we have in, in, in our relationship with Jesus. So, um, yeah. Scott, I know that I've pretty much hijacked no, this interview. No, but, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, you bring, but there's another, but there's another question that I think comes up is, and this is something I learned last week is that a lot of times when we read the Bible and we're trying to figure out how, wrestling with our faith, a lot of times it's, well, this is what the word says. And we look at it at the text the letters and the print back the black and white and there's a lot of times where like you guys were talking about like paul's saying hey i'm a screw up peter we read about peter peter screwed up we read about james uh he screwed up john screwed up everybody screwed up and yet we we read the bible and it's like well this is what the text says so that's what i'm going to do and yet we don't read it narratively and go here are the people of god some like even I we, we brought up a question about we talked a little bit about Abraham and and it was like okay Abraham the big thing about Abraham in his patriarchal narrative is that this is a guy of righteousness this is a guy of faithfulness and yet we see how he treats his wife by saying oh this is my sister when he when he runs into trouble and then the the king tries to say okay I'm going to take your sister so I can sleep with her and then you find out it's his wife and he's like whoa 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 what are you doing and then Abraham ends up taking all this like <laughs> cattle from him and then how he treats Hagar and you look at that and you say how is you know when you when we think about righteousness how is this man righteous and why is he still considered even when we start looking at the book of Hebrews when they start going down it was by faith and then Abraham's righteousness like really Abraham's righteousness, David, a man after God's own heart. That dude like murdered somebody and had an affair. Like, <laughs> and then you look and you look at Paul and you look at everything that happens. And it's like this idea, like Michael, like you're saying, like, oh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And yet we see Paul talk about his shortcomings, but then he also talks about the hope and the confidence he has in Jesus Christ. And it's like, okay. What's being proclaimed because, well, this is what the text says versus this is what the Bible says, the flow of the Bible says. And narratively, I think those are two different things. And when we have to, and I think as our jobs as pastors, it's important to say, yeah, this is what the text says, but let's expand it a little bit more. Let's, we could look at this one little, we could look at Romans 3, 10, but Let's expand it and see what Paul's really trying to wrestle with. Because Paul's wrestling with a lot with this congregation. And that's the thing about Paul's letters is a lot of times he writes as he's thinking things through. It's like he's it's like when I do math and it's like I have to do long division, I have to show my work. Like Paul writes like that. And sometimes it's like it gets annoying because like, okay, I don't understand what that Paul feels like he's like trapped in a loop, like we are in this conversation, but it's like but he's doing it for our benefit, for the reader's benefit, so that he's working through this so that we can work through it with him. Yeah. Well, I think it's so important to the Scott, I've mentioned this before, but you know, I think it's important every year to have a, a sermon series on what we believe and why. Oh yeah. Right? Like why do we why do we believe what we believe? You know, Church of God, you know, we Trey, we we have these conversations about uh, you and I are in the leadership focus you know, uh, conversation with coaching and whatnot, but like part of our job as coaches is to encourage and equip, but they, you know, I went through this. I don't know if you did when you went through ordination, but like we had to write 15 theological papers, right? So like the, the papers are basically 
what we believe in why what is holiness what is uh foot washing and communion and what is uh the second coming of the holy spirit look like what does women in ministry look like what does you know all these things and um i often wonder if it's you know what uh what we believe in why but is that truly our interpretation like trey what do you believe about foot washing and why you know, is it up to you or is it up to what the church believes? And if you believe something slightly different, then are you an outcast? Like, I I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that. But well, like, and I, I mentioned a while ago that I asked the question in my sermon yesterday, you know, do, what do you think I care about what you believe about the end of times? And, mm-hmm. and the, the response to that was, is guys, if you're sitting in my congregation, it's not mine. Number one, if you're sitting in this congregation, um, I don't really care what you believe about the end of the times. What I care Mm -hmm. about is how we live life between now and then. And so um, when I was in Indiana, I actually went through at one point in time and we counted it. There were 23 different denominational backgrounds meeting under one roof. Well, how do Mm -hmm. you, how do you minister to 23 different denominational backgrounds? And, and the way that I did that, the way that I still do that is I, in the South, I am probably not what people call a preacher. I'm probably a teacher, right? Because um, I'm not hellfire and brimstone. I'm not standing on my tiptoes, screaming at the top of my lungs, that kind of deal. I'm about finding the context of scripture and and using that context to better understand what Jesus is calling us to today. Mm-hmm. And so in that process, it really does become the fact that the living word of God is something that's going to mean something to you today. And it may mean something very differently to me today. And it also means means something very differently to you in 10 years from now, because it's living, it's breathing, it's it's changing with your story. Not that the word changes, but your way of engaging the word changes Um, because, because it speaks to what I'm going through today and it always will. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's, I think what it boils down to is how you relate to the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always found it fascinating, you know, geographically speaking, and I don't know what the the makeup of, of your, your city is or the town where you live, but where we live, um, you know, I live in a suburb between Cincinnati and Dayton and uh, in our little town of maybe 3000 people, we have five pizza places, a sports bar and a Mexican restaurant. Right. And then we have like four gas stations. But then uh as in reference to churches, it's you know, we have one Church of God Anderson, two Church of God Cleveland, no, three Church of God Cleveland, Tennessees, and I don't know how that works in one little small town. Mm-hmm. Um uh two Baptist churches, a Presbyterian church, a Mennonite church a Nazarene church and a Lutheran church all in our little town of 2000 people. Now the people that go to the majority of those churches are elderly and they have been going to that church their entire life. And I've, I've had the privilege of leading worship and speaking at some of these churches. And it's like, you know, the, the average age is, you know, anywhere from 50 to 90 and not, not anything below. Um, and my wife and I are in our mid thirties and we walk into a congregation and we go to visit a church on a weekend. And it's like, we're the youngest people here. <laughs> and there's a complacency that goes along with that Trey, because like, they just, 
they just want to 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 love their little church and do well, but they don't know how to, like you were talking about earlier, go out and serve and go out and be and go out and minister, you know, minister to those. And 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 my response to that is that some of them may not even be able to because of their age and their ability. They come to church and that's the highlight of their week. They got ready, they got out of bed, they drove to church or somebody drove them to church. They got to sit in church for an hour and that was the highlight of their week, which is just you know, mind blowing to me as a young, you know, yeah. I never thought that 35, you know, 36 years old would be young, <laughs> but yeah. it is in reference to somebody who's 80 or 90 and have been, have been going to their local church. And there's this complacency that I was talking about earlier that like, you know, uh, there's a Mennonite church in town and I love it. I love the pastor and I love the, the congregation. These are the sweetest people of God I've ever met, but they're okay with the the fact that they run maybe 30 on the weekend and they're going to be you know, there, the church is gorgeous. The, the facility is beautiful, but they're okay with the fact that that's what they are. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's a line there and, you know, I, I don't really want to cross it or get over, you know. No, but, but it's, it, I mean, it is the, the fact of the matter is, is that we have allowed our faith to become our comfort. Mm. Um, and faith was never supposed to be comfortable. Uh, Jesus be died for his, right? I mean, he was killed for it. Peter was. Peter was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, all of the disciples were butchered, whether they died from it or not, but they were butchered for their beliefs. Paul. And yeah. I mean, it just, so over and over again, we we keep approaching life from the standpoint that once I become a Christian, my life's going to be so much better. Mm-hmm. Bible, do you see that? Because the truth of the matter is, is it can't. I mean, I ran up against this in in the church I was at in Indiana, being there 13 years, you come across a lot of things, right? I mean, but but when I first got there, the predominance of the leadership was over 70 years old. And we had, we had this one group of matriarchs in the church that um, they knew everything on everybody. And because of that, they could, they could influence any decision that was going on. If it, if it scared them, they could, they could say that and it would just basically squash whatever. Well, I'd, I'd been there probably a year and we wanted to start shaking some things up because I'm a big believer that when you come into a congregation, the first year you need to be an observer, you know, yes. you lead, you preach, you teach, whatever, but you observe because you need to know their culture before you try to change, change their culture. Um, and so, uh, I went, I'd been there just long enough. I went and sat with the lead matriarch of the five or six that were there. And, and I, I, I said, you know, I'll call her Jane. That wasn't her name, but I'll call her Jane. I said, Miss Jane, I, I want to talk to you because I need your input. You know, you know, everything about the history of this congregation, about these people, about everything, but I want to know what it would take to get. And I started naming her grandkids. What would, it, what would it take to get Allie here? What would it take to get Jesse here? What would it take to get Bobby here? How could we do that? And I said, I would love for you to just pray about this over the next month and 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 come back to me with some ideas. Well, she went and talked to the rest of the, the little posse of matriarchs there. And she came back a month later and met with me and the other pastor on staff at that time and said, you know, we really took to heart what you were asking us. And I think I think my grandkids would start coming if we did things like I've heard of pastors that would use movie clips in their sermons. 
we've heard of we've heard of churches that used more upbeat music and and they 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 use guitars and things like that. Well, they came back with every suggestion of modern worship and modern teaching that was going on. And this was, you know, almost 20 years ago, but, but they came back and recommended everything we would have wanted to try. And it was their idea and their buy-in and the church grabbed onto it immediately because it came from them, not from us. And, and so what we, what we run into, I think is, we haven't personalized the the gospel and the mission enough to get the people who are comfortable where they are to begin thinking about the other people they'd want around that circle too, AKA their kids and grandkids. Hmm. So I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's helpful. Maybe it's not, but it is. I, I think, you know, as we kind of like to start to wind down, I, I had two other really just, you know, short topics that I want to we never really started on the topic we wanted. Right. <laughs> oh, we hit everything. Welcome to the Scott Stedman podcast. <laughs> the Scott, the Scott Stedman awakening or or revival. <laughs> the revival is the Scott Stedman revival. Yeah. Um, that's a good one, Scott. The revival of the Scott Stedman revival. Um, <laughs> I can just see you sitting up like, like the Undertaker and rising up. <laughs> um. Two other questions or two other thoughts that I wanted to get your opinion on. We we had Jeanette Flynn on a couple of months back, and it was just a really, really good interview. And if if, if you haven't listened to that, go back and, and check that out for sure. It's uh, probably one of my favorite episodes that we've done here uh, with Scott. But the the first thing is I want to I want to talk about leadership focus and your thoughts on that program and thoughts on that, um, you know, the track of ordination, if you will, Um within the church of God. And then, uh, you know, I want to get your thoughts on the church of God, where we are and thoughts on where we're going as a, as a church. So let's just start with leadership focus. And, you know, you, you started out as a coach and now you're the master coach. And it was kind of weird because when I started coaching, um, you were the master coach and then you were subbing in, I think, right. Or were you the master coach? Yeah, and the, then I was just kind of interiming the the master coach that semester. Yes. And then, yeah, because Joy was on sabbatical. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Joy Sherman, she's a pastor in, in Illinois. She was on sabbatical. She was the master coach. Trey was asked to fill in as the interim. And then uh, Joy came back uh, for our fall semester and she was our master coach. And then she decided that there were a lot of things that she was just trying to balance having a, a high school senior, uh, pastoring a church, and then just really trying to reprioritize her life with just her focus in her ministry. And so she asked to step down as a master coach. And so they've asked Trey to apparently Trey's a glutton for punishment. And so they've asked him to come back and serve as our master coach, which I'm grateful because I only know everything I know because of, of Trey in reference to leadership focus. I've probably annoyed him to the point of no return as far as calling him and asking all these crazy questions. He's probably like that. Micah guy is just too punctual with uh, <laughs> scheduling his meetings on time, getting his grading done early, getting everything done when he's supposed to, in fact, ahead of time. So, mm-hmm. um, so Trey's going to be our master coach uh, heading into the spring and um, I'm going to be coaching and then I'll have a, a semester off and then I'll come back. But Trey, talk about uh, your experience of leadership focus first and we'll uh, we'll kind of turn our eyes towards the church guy conversation. So, yeah. So uh, leadership focus. Um, I don't know how much your listeners know about it, but essentially uh, about five, six years ago, the the credentialing board over all of the Church of God came together and said, you know what, at that point in time, they produced a manual, but every state and every region could do things the way that they wanted to do. Uh, 
and uh and they were like we're 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 not real consistent across the board about the quality of ordained pastors that we're we're putting out into the world and so they they put together this list of things that they wanted to do and so that that's what developed leadership focus and it is an ever changing entity um, mm. I got asked to do it. Um, one of my passions, my wife keeps telling me at some time I'm going to end up a state pastor because I I look around me and uh, I don't want to over religiousize the terminology, but I've been blessed. Um, I've been incredibly fortunate in the in the, the the congregations I've pastored, and I've not gone through some of the stories, the horror stories that many of my friends have gone through in congregations. And so in the process, I, I care for pastors. Um, I, I, I tell people all the time, uh, Micah, I'm sure I've said this to you before, but I, if you need a friend, I'm here. If you need someone to holler at, scream at, cry to whatever, I'm, I'm that guy because I, I care about the quality of life and mental health of our pastors. And, and so that's that passion within that is probably why joy reached out to me. She and I were in seminary together. She was the master coach. And so she reached out and asked if I would be interested in coaching. And, and so after, after two and a half years of coaching, I was asked to do the interim on the master coach. And and then I went back to coaching this past semester. And now um, I'm back to a master coach as Joy has decided this is a season for her to step back. Um, and my goal in that process is I have, I have t- 11 coaches under me this semester. Um, it was supposed to be 11. It's 10 now. We had some people that were dropped out. But um, in that process, I don't get the interaction with the students like I did. So I'm trying to find out ways, Micah, to interact with you and with um, with the other coaches at a, at a deeper level. Um, but it, my passion for leadership focus comes from the fact that I think we're teaching stuff that I didn't get in seminary. Um, and I think mm-hmm. we're, we're preparing. practical things. Yeah. Practical things. I mean, in the, the session that, that we lead, we talk about the life cycle of the church. Um, we talk about, you know, uh, we do we do gifts assessments and and we do uh, emotional quotient and we do motivators and all those kind of things to learn more about ourselves. But it's not just about know more about ourselves. It's to help us to know what kind of people we need to pull around us for the teams that we're in and the congregations that we're in. And uh, and so I am a huge proponent of this because that stuff wasn't given to me. I I mm-hmm. I entered my process and and in in two thousand there wasn't. There wasn't a consistent process across the board. Um, and so I started in Louisiana, was given a mentor that I met with two times before he took a church in another state and moved. So I didn't have a mentor. Then I went to seminary. And when I got to seminary, Indiana said, oh, you started in Louisiana. We don't want to accept that. We want you to start from scratch. Louisiana said, we're not doing that to him. So they fought and they kept my ordination in the state. And it was just because there's no, there's no trust that was built across that you were getting the same stuff. So my 12 theological statements at the time that I was doing this were handwritten on five pieces of paper, front side mm-hmm. only. I didn't have any, I didn't have a Bible background. So everything was, I believe. And so, so what we're trying to do, what leadership focus is trying to do is to try to get beyond just the basics of, I read the scripture, this is what I walk away with, to being able to be given 
some of the context of those scriptures, but also to be given leadership capabilities. Um, in our group, Micah, you know, that last session is about putting a team together and actually seeing what it looks like to pull a team into a cohesive group and getting them moving forward. And so that's... Yeah, what, well, I was going to say, and what you do is in reference to if there's conflict within your group, you talk a lot about conflict and conflict yeah. within your staff, conflict within your volunteers, conflict within your teams, and and how important that is. And um, I, I what I wanted to say too about leadership focus is like, like I, I would say that if if we were on this circle of friends, the three of us, all of our ordination experiences were different. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, hundred percent. I went through leadership focus, mm-hmm. but my leadership focus experience was literally the genesis. Like I started out filling out the paperwork and like, it was kind of one foot in still the old way of doing things. We met, I met with the group, they prayed for me, they commissioned me. And then by the way, you're going to do this leadership focus thing. And then I did the leadership focus thing and I got done with leadership focus. And and, and I sat in the credentialing meeting where they were like, just because you did leadership focus doesn't mean you're getting ordained. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I was so, and I've shared this story. I was furious. And I just threw my theological statements in the backseat of my car. And I told my wife, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And then, you know, I, I was young, I was ignorant and I went back and the very next time I met with that group, I, I led them in a devotional and apologized to them and prayed for them and uh, said that I'm in a better space now than I was a year ago. And I, and I would very much appreciate it if you would affirm my calling to ministry and, you know, proceed with the ordination. Um, and, and it worked out, but, you know, again, the whole conversation of clarity um, yeah. is a huge thing. Uh, and just just for reference, Trey Scott has been he he made a transition last year to a Methodist church as a as a I guess your title is family life pastor is that is that correct? Director of or, Family Ministries. Director okay. of Family Ministries. He's got his ordination, you know, in the Church of God. He was a lead pastor in Virginia for six years prior to coming back to Ohio and he worked in Ohio before that, but like his ordination experience was different. So um, it's this is just, poor leadership I'm glad. Yes. I'm just glad. I'm just glad that there is a process in place and we're pushing for that con- continuity across the board as far as what the expectation is with the ordination. Because it's like you, you talk to other um, churches like, you know, a Lutheran church or a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or a Nazarene church, their process is pretty straightforward. And this is what you do and why. Right. And there's none of this like, oh, we're doing this, but we're not doing this, but we're doing this, but we're going to do this. And it's just, it, it's all over the place, right? But yeah. yeah, it's leadership focus is a great thing. And I'm, I'm just super grateful to be a part of it with you. And uh, the the conversations that I've had with other pastors that are going through this process has just been very rewarding. But it's also a, a chance for, 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 for us to connect with other people across the country and uh you know, across the world for that matter. Uh, It's just, it's very rewarding to see some of that come to life, but know that, Hey, I'm not the only one going through these struggles. Hey, I'm not the only one that uh, has a group of of older ladies who run the church or try to run the church. Like, (laughs) like it's just, it's, it's, it's great to know that we're not in this alone. And so there's a lot of camaraderie that comes along with that. And I'm just, I'm really excited to see where that goes and, and Jeanette's done an amazing job of developing and um, creating this for folks to uh, 
be a part of in the, in the process of getting ordained. So lastly, I just want to switch to the conversation about the Church of God and uh, your experience with the Church of God. Um, where do you think we are now? And where do you think we're going? And this is this is literally no hold. You can say what you want to say. Like I, I think, like it, it's not it's not a bad thing. But I I would be remiss if I didn't say that we're we're kind of in confusing times as a quote unquote movement, right? Um, yeah. Because I, there's not a lot of clarity from the leadership across the board, whether it's nationally, state, local. Um, you don't have a lot of those conversations, whether it's with the district you're a part of, the state you're a part of, or even you know national leadership uh for that matter like they'll come to state meetings we'll have national convention you see these people maybe once every couple of years but you don't have that connection with folks and granted i get it church of god is is, is a we're kind of the micro and then there's the macro but like i want to know where we're going so try give me your thoughts on that um it's a scary question because I think okay, we're done. We're not answering. Don't answer. Um, I say that. I say that because you know I don't know who will see this. Number one, Uh, but no, uh, the reality is, is I think one of the Church of God's greatest strengths is also what makes it so difficult for us right now, and that is what we have called autonomy forever, which is designed to say, okay, we don't have this hierarchy of a denomination that tells every individual congregation how they must live their life. We, we have this voluntary cooperation together, which means that me here in Northeast Louisiana, it, the ministry looks different than it does in Ohio or Kentucky or California. And so the autonomy is a great thing that allows us to meet the needs of our local community. And I think, I think by and large, that is what the church was called to do. I, I think when you read, when you read the book of Acts and you read any of the letters that Paul wrote, you begin to see that the, the autonomy is what allowed them to do what they needed to do in the area that they were in. And so you have, you have in some churches, you have very specific things that, seem really weird that Paul is saying, hey, don't do this or do this. And and you feel like, well, that's a weird thing to address, but it's because the church is part of the community. Well, when when you do that, the, the flip side of that is, is there's no true hierarchy. There's no true oversight. There's no, you know, when, when a pastor is having a tough situation, um, uh, I've seen it firsthand, uh, recently, where I had a, a friend of mine who moved across the country to a church, did not even preach his first sermon before he he was put into a situation where he ended up stepping down. Never preached sermon, lost $40,000 on a house he bought to, to live there, had to resell it and move back across the country. Um, who's taking ownership of that? Where is yeah. where is the mediator in the middle of that? Where is where is the 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 larger church body that says, you know what, that stunk for you, and I'm so sorry that happened. We're going to offer counseling for both sides of this because both of you were hurt because the because the process of even candidating for a church is ridiculous that you can possibly understand someone in a 60 hour time frame. Uh, you know, you don't know about, you don't, you really don't know that much about the church. You really don't know that much about the pastor. Uh, and that's what we depend on is that short little weekend time frame to learn everything about them. And so you, you have these scenarios like that. And so what we, what we lose is 
you know, since COVID hit, it's even gotten worse because now there's less and less conversation because we're not even meeting together as a state organization or as a national organization as, as heavily and as much. You know, we're getting ready to go down to Tampa right now uh, this summer for our national convention of the Church of God and 2,200 churches that are represented, some 6,800 pastors, give or take, in the nation. Um, and my guess is we'll have less than 1,000 people there, you know, if, if if we hold true to what we've been doing. And so is that a true representation of the Church of God? And we just we just are disconnected. And and the 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 arguments that I'm hearing here in my own state is, um, I booked all my stuff to go to Tampa. I haven't bought the first bite of food to eat, and I've already spent twenty five hundred dollars. Well, if the Church of God is predominantly churches under eighty eighty people mark, how many of them can afford to send their pastor to something like that? And if most Church of God pastors in a smaller congregation like that are making less than forty thousand dollars a year, how many of them can afford to spend twenty five hundred dollars on a single weekend? Um, and that's just that's just the reality of it. And so that's to me that's the biggest disconnect. And so what our greatest strength is is truly our greatest weakness. Um, and I, I'm I'm interested to see how we how we maneuver through all of this. Does that kind of answer well, your question, Micah? Yeah, yeah, it, it's good. I I haven't been to national convention uh, since 2014. And that was because, and it was in Oklahoma City, and it was at Crossings, and um, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it was you know a lot of money, and my dad and I split a hotel for the week, and um, but I had to pay for a plane ticket, my own food, and you know travel arrangements and whatnot, and you know that was pretty expensive for somebody in their twenties at that time, mm-hmm. um, and the church didn't cover it, I did, you know I was full time at the church, but I paid for it out of pocket, the church didn't pay for it. Yeah. So, and then like, as far as state stuff, like Scott went this last year to, to our state GA, um, which is usually held in October. And he said it was better because of the length and the duration and, and how they did things as opposed to what they did in years past, where it was an all day ordeal. They were actually done by two or three o'clock in the afternoon this year, which is amazing. Um, yeah. I haven't been to that since probably 18 or 19 because I'm like, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And and like, not that it's not good to connect with people and see people, um, and Scott made the joke that we could see each other, but he had to go do something. I don't forget what it was with his kids or something, but like, mm-hmm. he was like, I'll just high five you on the way out. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I'm not driving 90 minutes just to go high five Scott on the way out the door when I, yeah. you know, it's been the same thing for the last 20 years of my life. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, um, we had this conversation with Jeanette when she was on, but it's like, I just feel that we need to have, conversations mm-hmm. and we're i honestly i i couldn't call jim line on the phone right now if i wanted to i don't have his number anymore or whatever like i've worked with him before in different in different circles but like i don't feel like he's accessible to me right i don't feel like i could really and like even if i called jim and said jim you know i really feel this call to ministry of my life just kind of flourishing and moving could you get me connected to a church and find me a job he wouldn't be able to do that because he doesn't know. Right. right. And we, and Scott and I joke often about Atlas and minister connector and things like that. And he would probably reference us to that, but that doesn't help me find a job. 
Right. I mean, or, the re- I mean, the main reason why I'm here at a Methodist church is because of Ministry Connector, because it wasn't working, and I had to go through a third-party website, and they saw my resume. They said, we like your skill. We want you to, and we want to hire someone that's not a Methodist minister, so the Methodist church can't move you away in their appointed system, so we want yeah. you. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, <laughs> Methodist is kind of a kissing cousin to the Church of God. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm in the South. That's a term. Um, <laughs> but, but. You know, when I was in seminary, well, so was so was Shiva, were... apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was at when I was in seminary, I mean, we had uh, a dozen or so students that were Methodist, and they had just had to take two extra courses. You know, over the Methodist polity were the only things they had to take above and beyond what we were doing to get their their MDiv, just like I did mine. And so we have a great relationship with the Methodists. Why isn't that just kind of uh, you know, mm-hmm. anointed, yeah. push you, push you and keep going. And so, yeah. Well, Scott, Scott said that he wanted um, to keep his church guard credentials. And so he has, and he's had that conversation, I think with the state ministries, but like, or have you, because you have, a, you have a, I was supposed to. And then the person who, the central, the central person we're supposed to, then the central person. Oh, that's right. Had to deal with a bunch of stuff that the last person the last person's mistakes, I guess. And now I probably won't get a conversation until when that person comes back from Florida from their snowbird status. <laughs> which is which is funny because when I worked in 21 at a non-denominational church, you know, I had my church guard credentials. Church God didn't care that I was working at a non-denom. But when I went to the non-denom church, they were like, so what? You have church guard credentials. Big deal. Like, right. <laughs> it's yeah. like that didn't mean anything to them. Yeah. Um, and... And you're uh, like, I worked hard for that. <laughs> yes, I three years of my life uh, that I'll never get back. No, I, five I mean, years of my life the, that was on the one year yeah. track. It took me five years, <laughs> not on my fault. <laughs> well, and the the whole conversation of we've had, you know, when I went to Anderson, like the that's another thing the three of us have in common. Scott went to undergrad at Anderson. I went to okay. this school of theology. I went to seminary there, and and Trey, you've went there as well was that when I was there, I had conversations with people like Guy Brewer and had conversations with people like uh, Dr. Greg Robertson and and having like a plan in place so that when you go to seminary, if you want to be ordained by the time you're done with seminary, you can, you can be ordained. And like, you know, you're already going for an MDiv, right? Trey, like you're going to be there for three or four years, depending on the, the number of credit hours for an MDiv. And so it's like, it, it, it almost makes sense. To, to have an ordination track. Like you're already doing this stuff. Why not be able to walk out with, with your hood and your master's degree and have a, have an ordination on top of that. Like, and I realize that not everybody, everybody wants to, to, to be a lead pastor, but like, you know, maybe somebody wants to be a chaplain or, a, you know, do something else along those uh, in the medical field, so to speak. Uh, and that's okay. Like, but maybe you don't want to do the ordination track, but like, again, we have these conversations and then almost like they hit a roadblock because they don't want to ruffle any feathers. Like that's what leadership is having difficult conversations and being able to move. I, I say this all the time. You could ask my wife, move ministry forward. If you're not moving ministry forward, then what are you doing? And so it, it's just increasingly frustrating to me. Um, you know, and my dad and I have butt heads over this for years about stop doing the same stuff over and over again and expecting like these amazing results because if you're not getting the results and the priest not in the pudding then why are you doing it repeatedly so um i'm not 
I think it's too late to say that I've already got on a tangent about this, but it, it's just, it's, I'm very passionate Trey, like you are about helping people. And I don't even know where to begin. And I think that's why about a year ago, I had the conversation a little over a year ago with Jeanette Flynn and said, Hey, how can I get plugged into the church of God on a, on a, a more, you know, larger level? Not like I want to go be the general director or anything, but like, I want to make a difference in the church. And if I can't make a difference in the church locally, then how can I make a difference in the church at the state or nationally? And that's how I met you. That's how I got plugged into coaching with Leader Focus. And I can make a difference in the lives of the pastors of tomorrow. So when they see stuff because of the things that I went through, they can go out there and say, hey, it's going to be okay because somebody else has been through this too. So, and I don't know. It's just, I'm very passionate about that because I want to help people and I want to love people like Jesus loved people. And if we if we if we miss that mark, then what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, Trey, uh, again, thank you for being on the show. This has been an Absolutely. excellent conversation. I, 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 I told I told him at the it's gone wild part two. I told him at the beginning, <laughs> it's like an airplane. I'm the pilot, and I have a really bad takeoff. I'm gonna have a really bad landing too. Let's not crash this thing. But no, I think the conversation has been great. I like it. It's been great. It's been great to hear your point of view and your perspective on things, Trey. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining Mike and I on the Scott Simon podcast. Awesome. Yep. And friends, thank you so much for listening to us. If you like this podcast, feel free to give us a five-star review on any of those services that you listen to. There's so many of them. I can't even keep count of all of them. But if you like it, and then share it with a friend because, you know, maybe you might be like, hey, this is good stuff. I want to share this with somebody. So, friends, thank you so much for listening to this Scott Simon podcast. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and we'll be on next week with another episode. Take care. <laughs>